Hi, I'm Alex Hendy, Innovation Specialist within BP's trading and shipping business. Welcome to our Innovator Chronicles podcast. In this series, we interview experts, CEOs, managing directors, and startup founders who have had the courage to go with the conviction of their ideas, sharing their experiences, personal journeys, industry views, and visions for the future. I'm pleased to introduce our guest for this episode, Tom Parkinson. Tom is a multi-award winning MD who leads Steamaco, an incredibly fast-growing startup in the UK, which is revolutionising the energy industry in emerging markets, particularly Africa, by using advanced technologies to drastically improve the existing utility market. Tom, a warm welcome to you. Thank you for joining us on our latest Innovator Chronicles podcast. Well, firstly, thank you very much for having me, Alex. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. You graduated from Durham, then went on to pursue various financial positions with consulting and banking. What was your journey and how has it led you to where we are today? I did maths um, for my degree and I wanted to continue sort of my training in numbers. So I, I, I thought, you know, at university I'd join the consulting industry. But before that, I, I went on a year out and spent a year in Central America. And during this time, we, we helped in a sort of three year project building out a, this boardwalk uh, to connect a, a sort of local village to a, a nature reserve. Through that time, I spent three months actually living in the jungle. So sleeping in hammocks, collecting water, being entirely self-sufficient. And it was, for me, it was a very formative period. It sort of instilled that desire to protect the sort of natural spaces we have, but also immersing ourselves with the local village, which was sort of a uh, sort of five, 10 km walk away. Like you saw how little some people really have, particularly no electricity, no running water, such limited infrastructure. And it really sort of hit home how lucky we are to have electricity and how important it is and how much better life is with it. And that sort of got a kernel sort of of, of thought sort of in my in my head. But I sort of did the gap year thing and it came back and I, I spent I spent years I knew I needed to get a good grounding in business. So that's why I went into the consulting industry. And then the credit crunch happened and being one for sort of looking at big challenges, I thought oh, I'd quite like to get involved in this. So went to went to one of the big investment banks and helped them clean up the subprime mess that the bank had. Obviously, I'm not not leading it, but but certainly sort of helping helping do my bit. But I'd always been attracted to startups, and once I'd sort of gained a bit of professional credibility and and sort of knew how business worked and I knew a bit more about investing and financing, the right opportunity came along. I just leapt right in and so joined Steamaco about six years ago. You mentioned there that where you are now is is managing director of of this business Steamaco, which I'm led to believe is a, a fast growing company, certainly breaking down barriers in sub-Saharan Africa and, and Southeast Asia and other emerging markets. So tell me more about this business. What's the story? Steamaco exists fundamentally to help people gain access to reliable and affordable power. Essentially, the electricity markets in Africa and parts of Southeast Asia are broken. There are something like 95% of the utilities in Africa don't cover their costs. And this is because of a multitude of factors, but you've got low levels of, of revenue collection, which comes about because there's high levels of theft, but also customer trust is, is on the floor because the quality of power that they're getting and the, the amount of power they're getting is, is terrible. This leads to still now about a billion people not being connected to, to power across the world. 
because the markets just don't work and can't then invest in the infrastructure needed to, to keep them going and sort of connect these people. So what we do is we enable both existing grids and new grid solutions like solar mini grids to what were the providers of those to help sell electricity profitably in Africa. And we do this as a technology provider using a suite of IoT and cloud-based technologies. But in getting to, to this point, we began ourselves, uh, our journey as a uh, utility by installing wind and solar power in Kenya was our sort of first port of call. So for example, we, we provided the first solar to Remba Island, which is an island in the middle of Lake Victoria uh, to help the fishing communities there who had previously been relying on shipping kerosene over on these sort of little boats to, to power the island. And obviously it's really expensive for everyone, it's dirty, it's a little bit polluting for burning that much diesel locally and kerosene locally. So we provided this solar solution. The trouble was once you scale from one, two, three sites is collecting the revenues for the power sold. And particularly in Africa where you've got such low uh, levels of infrastructure. So we decided to find some sort of smart metering solution which would work and also enable us to, to remotely manage these um, sites. But we couldn't find one, particularly one that would work in Africa. And it was also at a price point that was reasonable for the African context. And because we couldn't find one, being sort of innovative, we thought, let's build one for ourselves. And so we spent a lot of time trying to like tinker around with what would work in the context for us as a, an operator and hit on a solution. And once we did, we sort of realized that uh, our competitors were taking note and saying, well, actually that really would work for us. Could you sell us that technology? And we did a bit more research and thought, you know, this is probably going to help the wider market and wider drive to help people get access to power. So we pivoted the company and have been focused on the selling of power through new technologies as the uh, main driver of the company ever since. And that's been about the last sort of five or six years. And it's been a really sort of deep journey in helping first mini grids as a, as a port of call into, into the electricity market. And then uh, jumping into the, the wider grid market, which is sort of really beset with problems of revenue collection. Um, and we're really focused on that now. You mentioned how you trialed and tested and tinkered, I think you used the word, of, of solutions that may work. And when you hit on a solution, that's when you, you realise that there was a, a big demand for it. What was that journey like? Because we talk a lot about sort of failing forward and experimenting and taking those measured risks to learn and grow. What's your perspective on failing when scaling a company? Well, I think failing is is essential. I mean, <laughs> you won't want uh, you want any investors hearing that in, in a company, but in in measured uh, risks and measured sort of portions it is is absolutely vital because it tests your expectations and your assumptions uh, much better than success does. It gives you a much better and deeper understanding when you have that moment of having to stand back and scratch your head a bit to, to work out what's just gone on and why hasn't something worked the way you thought it would. And it's that trial and error that you go through that really does refine your proposition, both in a product perspective, but also a business model perspective, like how you sell your product and through uh, through what means. For example, just like Uber didn't start 
as a ride hailing app we see today, right? It it started as, as a something else, an idea that somebody had in a different way, and they evolved it over time. And it's similar with Steamico in, in our journey. In that first we were a utility, realized that then we pivot to this technology provider, technology partner. And just picking up that story again, one of the key limitations we had in building out this smart meter was there was very limited 3G across the entirety of Africa, but really strong 2G. So you could send a text message, but it's difficult to send data. But it's essential for providing smart metering uptime levels and ensuring that people have power. And when they pay for it, they get the power they need to have a really high level of uptime. And we knew the only way we could do this is by creating a 2G model. So we created a 2G model that enabled all of the power to be run via SMS. And we started building this and then we realized, well, actually, this is going to get quite expensive going forward. And when we start in the trials, you can see that the cost of this is, is more expensive than we thought it would be or uh, initially modeled out. And so we said, OK, well, what we want to do is retain that 2G element to have the high level of uptime. But we want to utilize 3G when it's available because data costs are about 10 to 100 times cheaper. So we developed a 3G version and that has enabled us to become one of the lowest cost smart meters on the market, but also the most highest reliability. And it's with sort of going through that that journey that you uh, that you're able to create products that that actually do help to move the market forward and, and do help to move you, uh, you as a company forward. But that is our only sort of innovation. I'd say we we spent a lot of time actually on data compression to make sure that the efficiency of the data being transferred is high, which means the costs are low, because again, we're working in cost-constrained environment. And now we're taking another bit of a leap with the company because we're moving away from our own hardware because we're now going to integrate with existing hardware because some of that's caught up and does what we need it to. But more importantly, we're focusing on the losses element and what we can do with AI so we've become experts at dealing with power data, so from the distribution side, so consumption data uh, and from vending data. And we're going to start to use that with the machine learning model to detect anomalies. And those anomalies we're then going to use to detect theft. And we've built a suite of apps to enable the field force technicians, the loss detection teams to go out and find those and resolve those in a market in a controlled and reliable manner because it's not just there is theft, there is also issues in the market over bribery uh, when the field agents go out. So you need to think about the entire problem, but then it's not just the utility side, you've also got a problem with customer service levels and customer trust. And we wanna help rebuild that trust. So we're building apps to enable customers to get better visibility on their usage and more convenient payment methods, more convenient ways to contact the utility. So it's about thinking about all those things. And in terms of the innovation part of that, it's very much a case of saying, we need to work with the people who have the problem. We need to then to do put our thinking caps on, go and build, then test that with them, then go back and redo more sort of thinking, redo more development, and then test it out again. And it's that ever testing at sort of incremental and low levels that helps you hit on a product much faster than if you were to say, go away and think, OK, we're going to sit for the next five years and build out this product in our lab and, and not do anything with, uh, with our customers. 
That makes absolute sense. So it seems that, you know, Steve McKay very much lives by the do, learn, do mantra. Uh, and you've clearly got a high credibility to talk about innovation. My question is, how do you instill that spirit of, of innovation and foster that across the whole of Steamaco? I'm not a classical innovator. Right? I'm I sort of mathematician, trained as a training consulting. I've not been a, a scientist or an engineer in my life. And my role at Steamaco is, yeah, it is to foster a spirit of innovation. And so we do that sort of with a, with a set of principles. That's firstly to be sort of mission orientated. So innovation is problem solving and problem solving requires the you have a, a problem to be solved, to be to be clear. Uh, and we set our mission and our purpose and that is our North Star. And we solve these problems that are aligned with that mission. So that's the first thing. So everybody knows where they're, where they're headed. Then you've got to identify what those constraints are. So you can't complete innovation in a vacuum. You can't just say to somebody, to go away and, and build me something great. People need something to push against. And then it's also important to, to let them free within those boundaries. That I think it's the famous saying is tell people what you want, not how to do it, and let them astound you with the results. That's certainly something we as a management team focus on. Thirdly, I think everyone is really responsible in the organization for innovation. We don't just say our engineers are the innovative people in the company. We expect people to be innovative in business model creation, in operations, in support, even in back office. We don't want people to stand still if there's a problem in front of them. We want them to be enabled and empowered to solve the problems that stand in their way. It's really important as well that you, know, you get approval. So you've got to have license to, to be innovative. We don't get the liberty to do what we want to do without the trust and without the approval of the people who are investing in us. And we set that out clearly to them to say, here is the plan of where we're trying to get to. Here's our rough idea of what we're going to build, how we're going to build it, and the timescales we're going to build it. Again, it's coming back to those constraints idea, but we need their buy-in because we don't want the sort of rug pulled out from underneath us. We don't want to be sort of giving them false information or false expectations. It's a journey for, for us all. We also ensure that we understand the risks that we're taking. And to do that, we get a, a real diverse range of views. For me, that's about ensuring that the people in your team have diverse viewpoints, but also that you look externally, you talk with partners, you talk with your customers, you talk with your competitors if you can, to really get a whole view on the problem. There's a great book called Rebel Ideas by Matthew Syed, and he talks about people being on a mountain and it's only when you have sort of people on both sides of the mountain that you can tell what the weather's like and therefore warn people of, wh of what's coming ahead. And I think that's a really sort of good analogy of business. You're trying to get to this mountaintop, but you need that diverse range of perspectives to, to get there. And that's something which we, we focus on. Number six, I think you've got to validate your ideas before starting. Build something small. You've got to build an MVP and test the, the hell out of it in the market. And then once you've got that sort of validation, build a proper product. And then finally, it's all about allowing mistakes. I mean, I, I say this quite a lot to the team is that we are running fast and therefore I expect them to make mistakes. But what I want them to do is fail fast and then learn and then get better. It's about sort of rewarding them along the way for that journey and not necessarily the output of it. 
I mean, I, I use the analogy of a toddler having got two, two young children myself that when you see them to learning to walk or learning to do anything, really, the amount of times that they fail, but they do it quickly and they keep doing it and keep trying. And slowly but surely they get to the they get walking, they get learning to tie their shoelaces or whatever it is. And it's about that constantly allowing them to make little mistakes within the boundaries that gets you there and gets you to to learn. And that's the way we approach it at Steamico. I will not I will never sort of get at somebody for if they've set their right intentions and gone away and done something for making a mistake with a product as long as we learn from it and that we can uh, we come back stronger. There you have it, the, the seven golden tickets of uh, innovation. I think that's some key steps to, to sort of live by and foster across uh, any company. I think they're very interchangeable. Um, well, thank you very much for joining the, the podcast today, Tom. I think we often like to uh, end our podcast with a, a lighter question. Uh, and the one that I think I'm going to ask you today is, what is an organisation that inspires you for their work in innovation? Yeah, sure. So obviously Steamico, right? But looking at further field, I think certainly Tesla is one that has, has, has really inspires me, mostly because they've packaged sort of game-changing technology into something that's quite desirable. They made a car that's software first, which is completely fresh. I mean, I'm a little bit biased as, as an owner of one, but almost weekly you get new software update and your car gets a little bit better. And that for me is just, you think, actually, this is a company that really is thinking about innovation constantly, but has also done it in a way that has completely moved the market and is completely moving the world because people are now moving more into, into electric vehicles. So uh, yeah, for me, they're a, they're a constant inspiration. Well, I don't think anyone can disagree nor be surprised to hear Tesla and innovation used in the same sentence. Tom Parkinson, it has been a pleasure to have you on the Innovator Chronicles podcast today. Thank you for your time. And thanks to everyone who's tuned in to listen.